Hello, my name is Quentin Crombie, and I'm the Director of Policy at Roads Australia. And it's my great pleasure to welcome you to another of our Roads Australia podcasts. Australia is witnessing its greatest infrastructure boom in generations, with government stepping up their investments to help fast-track transport infrastructure projects to spur the nation's post-COVID economic recovery. In this environment, it is more important than ever for industry and governments to work together to ensure projects are delivered to maximise benefits to the community and to enable industry to get the best use of its capital and people. A key challenge, however, are the significant procurement issues being encountered by government and industry. And Roads Australia have produced a major report on this topic. The report, which was published in September, is the culmination of significant work. And since its publication, we've been discussing the report with ministers, government agencies, and many other key stakeholders. We've also been hosting a number of webinars to promote further discussion on procurement reforms, including a webinar focused on reform initiatives in New South Wales, which was linked to the 10-point commitment to the construction sector. One of those speakers was Camilla Drover, who is Head of Commercial Performance and Strategy, Infrastructure and Place at Transport for New South Wales. And we're delighted to have her with us again today to further explore some of the most challenging issues regarding risk, engagement of smaller contractors and the transport infrastructure pipeline. I'm also delighted to be joined by Kay Salvair-Smith, who is Roads Australia's Capacity Stream Deputy Chair and also a partner at Minter Ellison Consulting, who will help to host the session. So welcome, Camilla. Hi, Quentin. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, and welcome, Kay. Thanks, Quentin. Kay, I'm going to kick off with a couple of questions to you. So as I just mentioned, Roads Australia recently published its report on procurement reform and the 21 recommendations set out in that report was in response to a wide range of issues identified by both industry and government. So can you briefly just give us a bit of a background to that report, explain the issues and perhaps tell us which ones you think require the most urgent attention? Okay, so before I go into where we landed, I just want to touch on how we got to the recommendations. It was Thursday, March the 5th, International Women's Day and a sunny Melbourne day. Roads Australia convened a major workshop with CEOs of our contractors, leaders of design and legal houses, together with leaders of our New South Wales and Victorian governments, their infrastructure, treasury and finance agencies. During the workshops, we all split into teams to work through the various issues for key themes. These facilitated sessions raised a fair bit of passion and great ideas were shared. The report and recommendations are the output of the workshops, but they're also only the start of the reform needed. The results have been categorised into eight key issues identified in the report, and they are, in summary, the process for risk definition and allocation, and particularly on large projects, the size and complexity of projects, which has increased significantly and as a result, small to medium contractors are unable to effectively participate. The governments do not lay out long-term pipeline of work and Camilla's recently done something fairly major about that. The time available during procurement is often not long enough and often doesn't start early enough. The time available for the design phase on most big projects is often also not adequate and designed for design firms to be able to innovate or explore better engineering solutions and getting their and getting access to some of that information while the environmental documents are being prepared is also something of note. The current procurement models, which apply hard edge risk transfer, 
These are often significant and complex legal disputes which ultimately create a lose-lose scenario. That's not always the case, but making sure that we've got procurement models that align with the risk of the projects is really important. There was feedback that government does not engage with industry early enough in the design stage as well, and that state and territory education systems and the federal immigration model are not coping with the increased demand for skilled labour, and industry does not do enough to encourage women and people from diverse backgrounds into the industry. And we think that's going to be even more of an issue coming out of COVID. Thanks, Kay. That was a, an excellent summary. And, and I guess it's also worth pointing out that originally the report was to be focused on Victoria, but I think it's fair to say that uh, it has applicability nationwide, particularly in New South Wales. So just one more question before we go to Camilla. Look, clearly both government and industry need to work together to address these issues. It can't just be government. It can't just be industry. So can you briefly tell us about some of the collaborative initiatives that are currently underway to help progress the procurement reform agenda? Yeah, sure. So recently, the Victorian Department of Treasury and Finance and the New South Wales Treasury have been conducting a joint review of major infrastructure procurement processes It's been an opportunity to share experiences and leverage best practice across the two jurisdictions, establishing a greater degree of consistency across the two markets. The joint review aligns with New South Wales and Victorian COVID-19 responses also by enhancing procurement processes and contracting models to deliver projects that support economic stimulus, as well as address the challenges raised by the unprecedented number of major infrastructure procurements across Australia and coming through the pipeline. Project sponsors have been Sonia Campbell in New South Wales and Sonia is the Executive Director and Head of Infrastructure and Structured Finance in New South Wales Treasury and Anne Nguyen, uh, who's also the Executive Director and Head of Partnerships Victoria for Treasury. Uh, The review has been overseen by an expert panel, including people from Australian infrastructure experts and people from industry. And we understand that there is a review report that's coming out later this year. Thanks, Kate. So there's plenty going on in this space. And I know that the New South Wales government have been active participants in some of those and and have some of their own initiatives in play as well. So, Kate, I might hand it over to you now, because I know we have a a number of questions for Camilla around risk and engagement of smaller contractors and the pipeline, etc., as well as exploring some of the the great examples of success and, and talking through a couple of the relevant case studies. So, Kay, I'll hand to you to take Camilla through this next set of questions. Thanks, Quentin, and welcome, Camilla. I've been really looking forward to this discussion with you. I just want to kick off with the theme of risk. The identification and allocation of risk continues to be a big challenge for both government and industry. It is particularly amplified for mega projects. To what extent do you think that very early engagement with industry helps to better identify and price those risks, as well as mitigating them? Okay, thanks, Kate. Look, we've got a real commitment uh, in Transport for New South Wales for engaging with industry um, very early on in the piece. Because we want their input. Uh, Industry will ultimately deliver our portfolio of projects. So you will have seen recently that we're doing many more market engagement processes, not just for the large city projects, but now in the regions as well. And what we're doing is we're going to industry early and saying, look, this is what the out, these are the outcomes we want to achieve. This is the scope we want to deliver. What do you think are the risks that might arise out of that scope in, in the domain, in the geography in which the project is? And what's the best way to share those risks? 
And then having looked and identified the risks and how we might share them, that would inform the form of contract we adopt for the project. So we're trying to do that as early as possible because there's great value in that, uh, in that industry feedback and also allows us to potentially identify opportunities for innovation that we can then test during a procurement process. So I think early engagement with industry and really getting their input to inform the way we go forward. And Camilla, do you have any sort of examples that you can share with us that might be a recent experience that sort of really amplifies why that's such a benefit? Yeah, so if you look at the Western Harbour Tunnel Program, for example, uh, and if you look at the Warringah Freeway Upgrade Project, which is currently in tender, we did a great deal of engagement with industry on that project. Earlier in the year, we did another round, um, and industry told us that our base case, which was a DNC contract, they didn't feel was appropriate. And we particularly identified some key risks for that project, which were around road occupation licences, and the ability to get access to the road network. And through having that engagement with industry, we actually moved away from the DMC contract as the base form of contract, and we adopted an incentivised target cost contract. So there's an example of us engaging with industry early, not just saying, what do you think about the contract, but actually going deeper than that, looking at what are the risks of this project? Once again, how do we share them? And therefore, as a function of that, what should the form of contract be? The other thing we did is we are on a journey of harmonisation of our forms of contract here in transport. So we didn't get a new incentivised target contract off the shelf. What we did is we looked to our colleagues in Metro and we adopted a Metro contract. We did need to tailor it for a road project, but we've gone forward with uh, an old Metro contract, which means tailored for this project. So hopefully that's you'll see that's an example of us also not reinventing the wheel, but trying to leverage something that industry, or at least part of industry, has had familiarity and experience with um, previously. And we're also able to talk to Metro, understand the positives and negatives that they've experienced in the delivery of that contract to date, and, and try and address those going forward. So we're intended for that project, a way to go, um, but we're hoping that, again, once again, that early engagement and that working with industry actually brings value to the whole of industry and ourselves for that project. Yeah, and it's great to see an opportunity for lessons learned to be then sort of improved and and provided as well. So, Camilla, what are some of the other mechanisms that New South Wales government are either exploring or trialling to better address risk? And to what extent is one of those options the sharing of risk between government and industry, and particularly the unknowns that eventuate after the project has commenced? Okay, look, I'll go right back to the beginning. I think the first positive thing we're doing at Transport is actually having a really robust forward pipeline. So back in October, we presented that to industry. We did it on a virtual platform. And since then, we've asked for industry's feedback on that pipeline. So they can see the suite of projects that we've got coming up and also look at the sort of initial forms of contract we're proposing and the timeframes for those contracts. We then said to industry, what do you think about the achievability of that pipeline? The next step is then to get uh, into greater detail, and that's the marketing engagement process that we're undertaking. So I mentioned that previously. We're doing more and more of market engagement processes. And as I said, not just for the large mega city projects, but for as many projects as we can of of different sizes, and particularly in the regions. And we're doing it very deliberately by saying, once again, this is the outcome we want to achieve. This is the scope. What are the associated risks? How do you best share them? And therefore, what do you think of the form of contract? 
We're also leveraging new technology, and I think COVID-19 has allowed us uh, greater access to that new technology. So you'll see that we'll be pre-recording um, information sessions that we can host on our new industry portal and share with industry. And that provides a wide range of players across all tiers and all sectors of industry to get access to that information. Then they can start to decide where they want to participate on that project and perhaps uh, be part of an interactive process with us, or perhaps they want to sit that project out and, and wait for another one that, that best suits them. Then we'll go through the interactive process and that will form up um, what, what we do in terms of form of contract. The other thing we're doing in parallel to that is making sure that we've done an appropriate level of planning, preparation, and particularly around site investigations. So I think um, that that's a renewed focus for us at Transport. And I think the other benefit that we're able to harness is the fact that we have got such a large pipeline of projects and we've got such a large portfolio of projects in delivery. And that allows us to see the lessons learned and some of the trends and to make sure that we address them in the projects going forward. So if contamination is seen to be a significant issue, say in Western Sydney, let's look at what we can do to identify that risk earlier and what we can do to actually mitigate it and potentially design it out. Similarly with utilities, wherever possible, we want to get pre-approved utility relocation designs with our utility providers. So that gives us some certainty, but it also gives industry certainty about what we need, what the future design will be, and the time frame for getting those relocations done if needed. So a real focus on appropriate planning and understanding the risks before we even go to market. We also want to ensure that we've got the right teams within transport. So we're looking at our capability and the way we're structured. And we've also got a new matrix way of working within infrastructure in place. And that's about leveraging the combined capability of the division to apply to our projects. So quite a raft of initiatives that we've got underway. The other thing I want to add is that we haven't got a stock standard approach to the form of contract. So we are looking at projects from the fundamentals, from first principles and saying, given what we know about that project and what the outcomes we want, and the timeframe constraints that we've got, what is the best way to go forward? So we've got a whole suite of available forms of contract, everything from project alliances through to incentivized target cost contracts now, DNCs, uh, and potentially even PPPs in the future. So broad depths of forms of contract, but again, something that's very appropriate for individual projects. And as you mentioned, harmonization across different forms of of infrastructure delivery. Kamala, I just want to move on to the subject of packaging engagement of various size contractors. We know that industry capacity and the engagement of the smaller tier two and tier three contractors is an ongoing issue. What plans are underway by Transport for New South Wales to roll out smaller packages of work, including staging, at both a project and program level? And is this approach effective? And we've had a conversation before about some of the initiatives that you're, you're putting in place. But what do you regard as the areas that the smaller contractors can really add value? Okay. Uh, look, just firstly on packaging, again, it's we go back to engaging with industry to ask their views on the packaging of a project. So recently you would have seen us do that for the Coffs Harbour Bypass Programme. We looked at it very closely. We looked at the nature of the work required across that alignment. It's quite a long alignment. It was a mix of brownfield and greenfield works, but also tunnelling. 
We came up with a draft packeting strategy. Then we took that to industry. Now, pleasingly for that project, industry came back and endorsed the base case that we had for that project. But we absolutely had not locked and loaded it until we had that feedback from industry. And we're doing more and more of that. So there's another project that I'm thinking of at the moment. We have a packaging strategy for that. We've tested it with industry and we've gone back and retested it with industry. And I think going forward, you'll see that we'll actually change that packaging strategy very much in direct feedback or indirect response to the feedback we've had from industry. In terms of first and second tier and lower tier contractors getting their participation, I think what we can do in that space is, again, roll out our forward pipeline so they've got visibility of it. And I think having the, the three, four year look ahead is really important because that will allow them time to actually plan and get ready for those projects. Um, whether that means the, the skilling up of, of their own teams or the taking on of additional staff or whether it's the development of joint venture arrangements with others, either of the same tier or, or, or other tiers, so they can really prepare for those projects. So I think the, the first step in that process is about having that forward pipeline well into the future and then allowing them to participate. So a lot of our market engagement processes, we don't, there is obviously some qualification but we want to, to allow as many as possible to participate in those processes to give us our views. I think the only other thing I'll mention is, of course, when we look at packaging, we need to balance the dual objectives of having competition. And to maximise competition, it may mean that we, we package projects into smaller packages. However, we need to balance that with the interface risk that we will carry and retain and looking at our ability to manage those, that interface risk. So there's those two sort of competing issues that we look at when we look at um, packaging. But we also look locally to where the project is being delivered and what is the competition in, in, that, uh, in that geography, particularly if it's a regional project. So there's a number of factors we take into consideration, but I think the main levers we've got is letting industry see the pipeline early, allowing them feedback on that pipeline and engagement with us, and then responding to what industry tells us. There's actually quite a lot going on behind the scenes that not everybody's aware of, I gather. I want to move on to a conversation around pipeline. Transport for New South Wales ran an event on the infrastructure pipeline through to 2025, which included the launch of the portal, allowing for customised searches based on project size, type, location and other attributes. Congratulations on your involvement with that, Kanoa. That's quite a milestone in New South Wales and worth celebrating. What's been the initial feedback on this approach and to what extent does this give industry confidence to be able to invest in their workforce and to gear up for the, the work coming through the pipeline? Thanks, Kay. Look, we, uh, we had a look at the, the feedback um, that we got because we did ask for feedback and we were really pleased at the level of feedback we received and the positivity around that feedback, which was really good. It is early days because historically we've already always issued a pipeline in a paper-bound copy. So this was the first opportunity to put it on the internet and virtually. But I think that will also allow us to be a little bit more flexible with that pipeline. So as we get new information, we're hoping to update the pipeline as it evolves. So I think that's a positive. I mentioned the CEO um, forum that we're having, again, an opportunity for many in industry, not the whole of the industry, but many, once again, consultants and contractors, all of industry, to give us their feedback. It's basically, you know, what do you think of that pipeline? Are there any fatal flaws in it? 
what should we be doing more of, what should we be doing less of, etc. And then having a, a conversation, a discussion about what we can do to entice industry to participate in that pipeline. And what we want to use that industry portal really as our one-stop shop, as our link to industry going forward. So you'll see uh, project briefings, project information updates, and as we do harmonise that standard documentation across transport, we also see that's the pipeline where we're going to host that. So the industry does have that one view into transport and we can engage with them more thoroughly. And is that portal also going to connect through to the e-tendering or the other sort of tendering services? I think that's perhaps stage two, but um, our vision yet to be implemented, our vision is it is a one-stop shop for industry. So everything they need to know about our pipeline, our projects, the tendering processes and, and any announcements, um, we want to put through that portal going forward. It is quite a big difference to the way the pipeline has been expressed before. So like I said before, congratulations, Camilla. One of the things that we've talked about a couple of times before is making sure we celebrate success. As we've discussed today, procurement of infrastructure is clearly experiencing major and unprecedented changes, and there's a fair bit of pressure on everybody to make sure that infrastructure keeps rolling out as part of our response to COVID. There's examples of successful projects. So to wrap up, can you highlight one or two examples that could be used as case studies to help demonstrate the benefits of reform and to accelerate the pace of change? I think I might answer this question by just saying, We've got a, a massive benefit at the moment because we have such a large pipeline. Um, we're in a real purple patch, if you like, in New South Wales for the level of investment going into infrastructure more broadly, but particularly transport infrastructure. That allows us to really leverage lessons learned and with that volume of pipeline, actually do things differently, but also not once, but also repeat it. So I think that, that's the big benefit going forward. And we can invest time and effort in changing things because, again, we won't be doing it for a once-off. We'll be doing it for that whole pipeline going forward. The thing I do want to celebrate, I think, is what we've been able to achieve in 2020. It's been a pretty difficult year for Australia but and also globally. But, but even in New South Wales, we had bushfires, we were coming out of drought, and then we headed into COVID. But what I'm really, really pleased about is that we were able to keep the construction industry going in New South Wales and being actually really successful in New South Wales, not just with COVID measures more generally, but actually allowing the construction industry to keep on delivering for us. We did have to change the way we worked and some of our methods. In the podcast today, I think it's a good example of that. Uh, we've actually achieved a lot and we have been able to deliver. And on the micro level, if you look at some of the things that the Department of Planning, uh, Industry and Environment did, with perhaps some relaxations to construction working hours, and I think individual contractors and individual delivery agencies in New South Wales adopting new ways of working and really challenging the status quo and the boundaries to actually keep construction humming here in New South Wales. So I just want to congratulate the whole industry in New South Wales for what they've achieved under very trying circumstances. Um, and hopefully we'll all have a, a good break at the end of 2020 and come back early in 2021 to get on with the delivery of that uh, major pipeline we've got in New South Wales. Thank you, Camilla. Quentin, I might hand back to you now. Thanks, Kay, and thanks, Camilla. That was fantastic. We really appreciate you participating in today's session, which we hope will be the first of many. 
We've heard some excellent procurement reform examples today of what's occurring in New South Wales, and it certainly highlights what we can look forward to in 2021 and beyond. From Roads Australia's perspective, this is a nationwide issue, and we will continue to collaborate with industry and government to pursue the recommendations set out in our report. This will involve Roads Australia leading regular dialogue between federal and state governments and industry to continue to monitor progress on procurement reform initiatives. This approach will ensure all key stakeholders take ownership and play their part in driving lasting changes to the way we plan and deliver infrastructure projects. Thanks for being with us today and we look forward to you joining us again soon for another episode of The Hub.